1: I'm standing outside a lighthouse, which on any other day would be a wonderful place to explore for this podcast, but this lighthouse just happens to stand next to an even more extraordinary building. This week in Liminal, we're going to be taking a tour of Bidston Observatory on the Wirral Peninsula. It was built in 1866, originally as a research centre for scientists studying time, but evolved into a building where all sorts of other fascinating and genuinely groundbreaking research took place. This was where all the tide patterns around the world were calculated, including those for the D-Day landings. For many years it was occupied by the Proudman Oceanographic Laboratory until, in 2004, it moved into more modern premises within the University of Liverpool in the city centre. Finally, in 2016, a group of artists bought the observatory from a private developer and is using it as an artistic research centre. We're meeting two of them today, Fiona and Ed, who have kindly agreed to show us round and, I hope, let us into the two massive domes on the roof, which is the bit I'm most excited about. Let's head inside.
2: and that makes you this weird jack-of-all-trades but master of none. (laughs) But you're like, oh yeah, sure, we can have a go at that, we can have
0: a go at this. The director there had told me about the observatory and at that point it wasn't on the market and it was in this kind of, like, limbo with what was going to happen to it and we just became kind of fascinated by it. And we met Stephen and Mandy in the lighthouse. Um, We were explaining what we were trying to do and we realised it aligned quite closely with the, the stuff that they're doing there now with the museum and trying to save the building as well. And then we went on this pretty extraordinary <laughs> journey trying to renovate it, getting listed building consent, planning permission, change of use. You know, we're not from a building background again, like we're not from a science background either. So it's been a very st- like steep, inclined learning curve. We're a not-for-profit organization that's designed uh, to, to basically be of use for artists, um, people working in the sort of arts sector. And they can come and stay here for a cheap fee, essentially. Um, And we kind of just let people get on with it. Like, we have a sort of set of values and accountability process that we ask people to sort of follow whilst they're here. But effectively, like, we're not a hotel. We're not, like, a leisure site. It's a work site. So people come here and work on projects. Uh, It might be doing a research for a film. It might be writing a book. It might be um, being a musician or, I don't know, um, being a choreographer. And they can come and stay here. Uh, for you know, a period, a period of time, and sort of dedicated time to sort of like focus on a project that they, they want to sort of work on away from their, their normal working environment. Um, and it's self-organising, self-catering. And then we also have like a series of uh, sort of public programmes that we're working on and developing, as well as the heritage kind of tours and long-term, well, hopefully not that long-term, <laughs> mid-term, the museum. Right. This room in here is uh, really interesting. This is uh, the Dudeson-Lage title prediction. Really beautiful machine. It's it's recently been refurbished, and it's on display in um, the National Oceanographic Centre in Liverpool. And I think, yeah, you can go in and visit it, and I think on certain occasions they have it working as well. They do a demonstration of it. And it's really beautiful. It's all kind of like brass gears and cogs and pulleys. And this was the machine that they basically, uh, Dudeson... And the French machinist uh, Lege, I think that's why it's called the Deux and Lege, um, made this machine. And it was it was the first computer, effectively, that could do these accurate, and I think it was one year's worth of tidal predictions, the height, the, the, the tide height, and time, anywhere in the world, which you know we sort of take for granted now. But up until, well, when was it? mid 30s. Is it early in the 30s? Yeah. 20s, 30s? Up until that point, like, they just, and obviously, that's got huge ramifications for. Shipping, like especially in Merseyside, with this really tricky sandbar at the mouth of the estuary. Yeah. It's really tricky to get into. So knowing the tide the tide times is like critically important. But um, I
2: mean it's it's still well, I think it's half an hour normally for like a standard prediction, but it can still do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this the reason we've got the picture here is because the machine was actually in that room. So that was the room they had it in and they were using that room. I mean Whenever we do a tour, it's always interesting because there's always someone that's worked here or is a passionate horologist or astronomer that always knows more than we do. So we're quite often getting corrected, which is fine. You know, We're on a learning curve. We're not no, from no, a science no, no. background. But um, I've had a few people that said, like, came one of the tours and they're like, oh, I remember that machine was upstairs. And someone else was like, oh, it used to be down in the coach house. So... But we definitely know it was in this room at one point because you can see the window in the
2: background. So there were two tidal prediction machines here. There was one based in this building, and then one done in the coach house in case either site got hit. Bearing in mind, yeah, it was a prime target because prior to that, they had been doing a lot of yeah tidal prediction and calculation for the whole of Europe. Mm-hmm. So it was known about as a site. These nine women and Duden would have been based in the building. Um, working like night watch because it was a key lookout for the docks and the port and they actually foiled various attempts to bomb the docks um, from the vantage point of the roof and then they were also doing incredibly complicated calculus that was coming off the prediction machines which all then had to be verified and looked at so they were working with like night shifts and things like that but The team here was was relatively small. The US team was about 150 people. The collected team was like 150 people in Egypt as well. And then based in in Bidston, that did all the D-Day landing predictions, along with loads of other big Mm -hmm. pushes, was just nine women and one guy and two machines so they're quite incredible isn't it yeah they look so young most of them are still still alive they're all over the world it looks like their skirts are being blown a bit in the <laughs> yeah this uh, demure one thing that seems like really lovely everyone that worked here and we've met like generations of people that have, have worked here now had a really nice time they're out of town the building's like lovely and like i mean when we first came and looked at this building you really sensed it as well there's just like a nice atmosphere to it it's got like this like nice proportions practical functions but they they loved it up here it was half residence right until i think 53 so the room that we were in was the chronometer testing room originally And then the astronomer would have been living on on this side of the building. The basements were also like research labs and things. And then obviously the observatory domes and there were libraries upstairs. But when Dudson was here, it still had a house, like a house element to it. So there are like lots of kind of like fond stories about this kind of amalgamation between like research and a kind of domesticity, which again is something that we into within our project so people come and stay here you work and you research but people are coming from lots of different disciplines so that's why the the kitchen is the center of the the house it's like you go and you write your phd on computation during the day or you might be a dancer or a therapist working with groups but then you all come together and you end up having dinner together and interesting conversations strike up but i have a, a sense that that's something that's always been in this history of the building Earth-tide research is basically taking into consideration that not only do you have huge bodies of water moving around that are affecting the continental plates um, and causing them to tilt, but you also have like the moon moving around the the earth and the sun to a lesser degree as as we move around the sun, that causes a, a gravitational field that deforms the shape of the earth from what we think of as this perfect sphere. So to be able to assess the tilt and the changing of, of shape as well is why they had like these like horizontal pendulums in the basement. So there's a plinth down there that would have had um, a pendulum with like really fine glass wires holding a horizontal line that had a, a light on it that would have left a trace onto photographic paper. And from that, you would be able to see how the ground was, was tilting. So it's set right into the bedrock, which is this one continuous piece of, of sandstone. And from that, they could therefore be like, ah, there's these like, small shifts in the earth below us. Um, it was picking up fault lines in like Japan and San Francisco as well. like... One of the later data scientists is like, Oh, yeah, all your data would be lost because there'd been an earthquake somewhere. And you're just like, Whoa. Seismographic work started in um, 1897. It's very, very early here. And because that sort of starts up because of the particular properties of the building, you end up with it becoming appropriate for tidal research. You have this like, layering of research because they know about how that tilting is working tidal prediction becomes like it's its strongest point and that takes over from the astronomy work which was for setting chronometers and, and ships clocks and that becomes its main point of focus the design for like the Thames barrier was done here so it's always been ahead of its time but it's been about these different layers of research sort of sliding over each other that makes it relevant and able to adapt to the next thing that needs to be looked at or the next thing that needs to be researched. So it's fascinating that you sort of just needed to start with some sort of research and
1: then the rest of it just grew out of that.
2: Yeah, some sort of research and then the intuition that this was a really great place to build an observatory. And so the fact that it's it's cut out of the bedrock and it's, as I say, that plinth in the sub-basement is rooted right down into the ground gives it these very, very specific conditions from which to start observation. And the second you've got a point in space that you can start to measure from, that always becomes relevant to something else. So it was built for chronometer testing because Hartnup, who is the original like astronomer here, had figured out that when ships were going over the equator and the change in temperature, um, it was causing basically the oil in their mechanisms to change its viscosity and run faster. So okay. the observatory was built as a space where you could bring like chronometers. there would be a perfect clock telling the time, and then they would raise and lower the temperature on the chronometer so you could predict how it would behave at sea. And that's why like, it's got two domes as well. So one dome was specifically for just being able to tell the time and then the other dome was like a comet scope they say so like that was his kind of like research telescope because astronomy obviously was very in, in vogue but I mean having this time-based telescope also it's kind of pre-railway so it allowed Liverpool's time to be specific for Liverpool when the light changes at a different time and things so like that. So it used that. to be different
1: times all around the country didn't
2: Yeah um, so this was so Liverpool had its its own time um, but the dock and the harbour was was suited to I can imagine like appealing, appealing to people today yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. You're like, give us back our 15 minutes it's not 15 minutes I think like 11 but I mean you notice that when you come up that the sun sets a little bit later and things like that so that makes a lot of difference if you're unloading the your ship and you've got an extra quarter of an hour or yeah. but the gun that then was set off from here to sink up the, the docks and harbour became a sort of second part of this chronometer yeah I guess it was a business not very successful on it I don't think yeah. but um so they had like this offering of like being able to calibrate and set your clocks and they did up to a thousand a year it was a <laughs> lot yeah, I think it might it even was... be more than that and then also they had this kind of like gun so that meant that everything else could kind of like sync up and that was a service that was provided alongside this only that ran until 69 and like lots of people Remember the gun because you'd be like walking the street, and all of a sudden the buses would stop because they were ahead of schedule, or you'd notice people rushing back after lunch. So we have people yeah. on tours and things are like, oh yeah, we remember the one o'clock gun. It was a really big part of like, yeah, a really big fid- like feature of Liverpool. It was always there every day. I think it misfired six times. In I think there's a
0: campaign to try and get it firing again as well.
2: Like, yeah, the, it's still on the plinth like where that. it would have fired from. Oh. It was a really long electrical charge, again, another quite significant technical innovation. But even that, there was the telescope telling the time, then there was another clock, there was a bond clock that would be double-checked by people working on the site, and then that would be triggered, and then that would be sent off down to the dock, and then it would, it would fire. Show you the sub placement. Oh, yeah, this was. But yeah, this is kind of like this pillar that goes down like 30 put into the rock and the pillar that went right down. Yeah, this the would have well. had, uh, it's been recladded and stuff like that, but this would have had this hori- horizontal pendulum on it. And then, so that would have been tilting and like making this light mark on a, a bit of card. Oh, okay. um, that was we had a party down here oh, okay. yeah we had a party down here probably this time last year which was really nice We had so we turned this into a bar and um, yeah we had this for people close, playing it's for a bar. oh it's awesome yeah it's really nice like, it needs a lot of acoustic cladding so we did all that as well but um, yeah. this is to cover a leak but this is a robbing of Karl Marx Alley in Berlin so there's a cinema and it's got these big freezes Cinema built just after the wall came down. Um, but I put it up there to hide <laughs> the fact that the wall leaks. It's only <laughs> gone mouldy. But yeah, I got up on the scaffold and just rubbed charcoal on this like massive freeze. basement space of the observatory is the same as the upper floors as well so there's an equal amount of space underground and we're now standing in what would have been one of the chronometer rooms so they would have been able to in the large space above they'd have been able to heat from below from from this space we tend to use this space for making there's normally big desks and like stuff in here some very smart tiles of the red and black yeah, the t- smart tiles, are they were walkways and alleyways for um, yeah, the ventilation system. So they run across most of the, the basement and it was an early form or way of heating the building before central heating had been, been developed.
0: But um, we didn't have any hot water when we got here. So, <laughs> so a lot of these pipes were on you, so we could have running hot
1: water. So they wouldn't have had...
0: Well, they, uh, they had heating, that was put in the 50s, but um, they had gas heating. Like, we found, like, when we were sort of trying to clean out the domes, we found all these old gas pipes, which in these big wooden domes, is <laughs> a bit scary. Also, the fumes would have been terrible, but...
2: There's a lot of different, like, kind of technical innovations that were being tried out on this building by Lister, who was the, the architect. I think this is kind of, this building's like his most technically innovative it's so interesting that that he's made these decisions because of the purpose of the building but actually it's made the building very beautiful and very distinct and it's it's funny when you look at the actual design of it one of my like the nicest features I think is like some of the cornicing upstairs of course it's just in inches but the ratios in the cornicing. thing um, are the same as like around the dome and the like rack and pinion system in there. So there's like references to the technical, all the way through it. And it's it's a it's a strange building. Like era-wise, you can see that it's got like this kind of industrial sort of might to it. But there's things that almost look way later like Brutalist like it was really about this is the future this is stargazing so it has quite a lot of yeah particular motifs that are quite inventive or slightly outside of its its time it's not just gothic it's not just like a typical Victorian building he's got something quite playful about it in some of those like little gestures when we've been refurbishing it we've actually been taking it it's so perfect for our needs we've been taking it back to to what it it was, which is kind of like lab and make spaces, which always would have been like then accommodation spaces for people to kind of stay and then big meeting spaces for people to work together. Um, but you get a sense that everything that's done here has been for urgency. So all of a sudden you look at some like pipe work or some conduit that goes right through beautiful cornicing and you're just like, ah, yeah, but in the 50s there was a really pressing. Task to be able to get more bodies in this building to be able to do research so that was their priority I mean there's some really sad things like beautiful marble like ammonite fireplaces that were just smashed up so they could put more bookshelves in and things like that but at the same time you kind of get a sense this is a working building and it's committed to contributing what it did to originally Merseyside, but then also, like, the earth sciences as a whole. They... And now the
1: contrast, because then it would have been so busy and so many people working here, and, like you mm-hmm. saying, lots of computers, and now it's it's just so peaceful and still.
2: That changes. We can sleep up to 26 people here, so that becomes a very different thing. And then you've got people, like, working in the basement. You've got a lot of, kind of, different activity happening here as well. So some of the people that are staying are... I don't know for an example a friend of mine who's like a feminist translator was here for quite a long time recently like working with like Islamic texts, and so she would just be up in the library or something like that but then you've got woodwork being done in another space and you've got people recording sound in another space. Like, most of the rooms are kind of like double bedrooms and stuff, so oh, this wow, is the yeah. dormitory. Weirdly, like, we've <laughs> <it's> not loads <laughs> of groups It just, like, had a woman's group come around the other day and <laughs> they all slept in here. I was just like, i put you in all these places around there, and they're like, no, dormitory! <laughs> so there's, like, again, it's kind of this mixture as well of, like, accommodation. And, but this is what this part of the house had originally been.
1: Did you look at the original colours, or have you just chosen? the green. You'd chosen. but
2: The only one. This, which I mean, looks a bit like a pub, but the bathroom. Uh, that's Mersey Docks and Harbour board colour scheme. Oh, so wow. when we took, this was an old. Um, that is bright yellow and lots of dark green. Yeah, but that was that was colour matched. And somebody else looked like this. This one's a funny one because. <laughs> Because It's had all these different layers. This is like institutional office mint, so we kept that. So some of it's like these kind of weird things, and then yeah, the rest was just a kind of fit in with a bit of Victorian color scheme. And yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so there's kind of a, a, a mix of like these different um eras of it. There's like a pink bedroom and stuff as well, like you just like that. Like, the yeah, accessible right. rooms, like bright pink, well, that's like um, but that's room. what it. It yeah. was in the 80s, so. Yeah. <laughs> they look like minting tiles as well. Yeah, they are. Yeah, we were really lucky with that. There was like three layers of vinyl on, on it, and we were just like, oh goodness, we're never going to get back to that. But, uh oh. Uh oh. Hello, mate. I oh, know. Hello. Oh, wait, no, tight scratching. No. Hello. This is Kilo, who totally bumps the place. i so this is kind of the observatory's main space and it would have originally been the chronometer hall, so where they would have had up to 200 clocks at a time, I think, like in this one room that they could all be tested and calibrated together. So it's a, a fairly large space and now it's the heart of the house. So it's in general where everyone chills out after whatever they've been, been working on and like cooking here is like self-catering but we find that whenever you've got people here we end up cooking big dinners together and potlucks and whatever else I had about 40 people in this kitchen for a couple of these events and then it's all kind of like communal cooking and
0: communal washing up
2: communal washing <laughs> up yeah not as popular
0: as the cooking part <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. it's interesting um this room in particular because we've got the windows either end People quite, and there's the public footpath on Spitson Hill there, so people quite often just wander around. So you'll be sitting in and having your breakfast and there's just someone leaning in at the window, which is always a bit... So actually, we found it very unnerving, like initially, and we are just like, oh, what are we, you know, but actually it's, everyone has been very friendly. It's really, it's actually kind of really nice because you, you sort of start, we start to sort of recognize or sort of know more people from like walking the dog on the hill. People are people very naturally inquisitive. Like they're always knocking on a door, knocking on a window, what are you doing? What, what's going on here? You're like, Hi, I'm <laughs> still in my slippers and like, good morning, you know. So yeah, there's been there's been a lot of support, a lot of goodwill actually. It's been really, um, it's been really exciting to sort of have these have people locally kind of engaging with it and being supportive, and yeah. I think kind of interested to see something happening here. Yeah, just got to make well it work done. now. And
1: of course, <laughs> you've got this amazing view of, of Liverpool right through this yeah. massive massive window.
2: Uh, yeah, it's incredible. And these two, the trees, I love. These are like apparently there's only eight cedars of Lebanon on on the Wirral, but those two. You can see them in the original photos. They were like put in as tiny shrubs. So, like in 150 years, they've grown into these huge trees. They frame the view. It's like yeah, a it's beautiful.
1: So we've come up a wooden staircase.
0: We're in the south uh, east zone now. Right. This is the transit uh, telescope that we would have
1: in here. So it's all wooden paneled, it's like, it's like sort of the inside of a ship. Or I something. know, it's
0: beautiful, isn't it? And what we found out the other day that these edges, the chamfered edges on the ridges between the panel, in this room they're red, and in the other zone they're blue. Um, we found out that's because um, they're either writing red ink or blue ink. So when they had all these data logs, or handwritten data logs, they could immediately tell which telescope um, those readings that come from because they'd either be in red or blue ink.
2: it's
0: kind of nice wow yeah. this photo is uh that's uh, uh Duton, who's one of the directors here um he's actually in the other um, dome
1: so what's the so that's his telescope yeah right? that's his
0: telescope that's his assistant apparently he didn't do much astronomical work someone told us the other day that so this was kind of like a press <laughs> kind he's of crazy. a press yeah. <laughs> setup um, yeah he's a pretty extraordinary guy he did a lot of like, he did the Duton-Lage machine this is the old um we took these sections off and cleared <laughs> out this track here um because we knew it ro- the dome rotates so this uh, section here would have slid back on this kind of pulley system it's, it's all sealed up now uh, the telescope would have pointed through that and then depending uh, what position in the night sky uh where you wanted to look you'd rotate the dome so this huge uh, gear rack and pinions there which makes the whole thing turn around oh
1: wow so that'll take some power, <laughs> yeah,
0: But it just got it all got seized up. So when we took these sections off, we cleaned it out and got it rotating again, which is quite exciting. It's incredible! That, that hasn't been t- that hasn't turned around for years, though, I do It's
1: like a meter or more wide, isn't it? Yeah, just diameter.
0: That's just beautiful. It's extraordinary. I mean, one thing, um, the covering on it. Uh, was put on, I think, in the 70s or 80s. And um, I'm guessing it's because the copper on the outside was starting to give way, was starting to leak, and now that material's starting to give way. So one thing we're kind of trying to plan is, is how to do like a National lot- Lottery heritage bid, because they're going to have to be refurbished, which is going to be a massive job. <laughs> um, that's the next plan.
1: And it's quite cold up here as well. Yeah,
0: there's no, there was a plan to put one of these early computers in this room which would have been uh, interesting because yeah, you've just got, it's very drafty because underneath that track there, you're just straight out into the elements. So very cold in the winter, very hot in the summer. So if hey, you come out here, I'll show you the roof a bit. Oh, brilliant. Stop raining anyway. Stop raining, just in time. Oh my God bit of the lighthouse there. So yeah, through this bit here, I can see. I think that's um, what's that ship? That ship's called Fort Austin. I think it's an old uh, naval supply ship, and the dock's being serviced at the moment. You can just see Camel Lads, and then obviously you have got the, the, the skyline of Liverpool, and Liverpool behind
1: it. And these trees will have all been.
0: Smaller. Yeah, these. Yeah, I know. Very inconvenient. These the two at the front are cedar, the cedars of Lebanon, uh, Lebanon, and they're actually uh, listed. They're very, quite rare, apparently, which is quite nice. So we've, yeah, we've had to fill out here. We're slowly trying to sort, of, sort the gardens out because that was all overgrown. And when we got here, there was fly tipping all in the in the uh, car park area. So we've just slowly been chipping away at it.
1: So you need not to be scared of heights then.
0: Yeah, we have to, <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have to, um, all the drains get blocked up with all the pine needles, so we have to climb around the edge of the roof oh and unblock them, which is always a bit... Okay. I'll just show you the other dome
1: Yeah,
0: with Burbo bank went from today actually it's really clear that it's side it's
1: really clear and the the three just looks like a bank yeah like a vertical
0: and that's Liso Lighthouse and Liso Lighthouse used to work in conjunction with um, Bidston Lighthouse just here and when ships were coming in they would line up the two lighthouses and when when they got there I think it's called a tangential line that's when they knew to turn to start turning into the mouth of the estuary it's quite tricky saying earlier. This sort of sandbar that's out there is quite tricky to navigate.
1: And the semaphore towers up on yeah. That
0: as well. was uh, there was
1: um, uh, Sorry. along
0: this. So, a lot of these trees have grown up in the last like 40 years or so. Um, this ridge, can you see the windmill, Bitson windmill? Um, just if you come this way, a bit, I think you just, Can you. Just see the big. two sails, oh, yes, sticking out. So, between here and, and the windmill. Uh, that's, this is Bidston Hill, the ridge of Bidston Hill, and that's where there was this um, uh, flag station. So the ships that were spotted by the lighthouse coming in, they would send someone out, raise the flags. As a merchant or as a shipper, you could buy a flagpole on Bidston Hill. That would then be spotted in Liverpool, and that would give the owners of the ship or the uh, buyers of the... Well, times to basically find a buyer for the cargo and also notify the families so they could spot the... Um, the ship's colours, the ship's flags from so the So they knew how long it would take for the ship exactly. to come Exactly. Yeah, depending on tide times. Yeah, that was always, and the wind and everything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this is a very, very popular dog walk because it's always like summer is always busy up okay, here, which is nice. I'll just show you another other, you. other, dine, other dime. A bit tight, come <laughs> through here. ceiling higher, yeah. we haven't got this one turning yet but we've kind of we kind of just left it as, as we found it we cleared it out quite a bit there's a lot of storage and junk in here um, but we kind of just wanted to leave it as it is unfortunately these windows got put in the, the perspex windows before the listing was made part of the renovations if and when it ever happens hopefully uh, would we'll get rid of the pvc because it's not really you know historically Victorian material, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It makes you feel very small sounding. Yeah, it's though, got some really
0: it? weird acoustic properties. If you, stand, if you stand there and speak, can you hear some like yeah, very weird... If you say if you say something, you can hear... Sort of like Hello? Sort of through, if you move around a bit, it's sort
1: of... <laughs> what, listen- oh, yeah, yeah there it's you go. there.
0: It's a weird spot, isn't it? Something to do with this kind of...
1: That's really strange. <laughs> it's like I'm um, covering my ears or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like a muffled sound. Oh, I know? have to step away. <laughs>
0: we had um, the BBC um, came around because we were on like a film scout type website thing and um, the BBC were making a production of uh, War of the Worlds and they needed a Victorian yeah they they needed like a Victorian era um, observatory dome to film a scene where the astronomer notices something strange happening on Mars and they they didn't go for it which is a bit of a shame I mean I don't know how many Victorian (laughs) Kind <laughs> yeah, of, so left, left, yeah, yeah. No, maybe there, maybe there are loads.
1: Maybe it was just the practicality. Yeah, of I think it. so.
0: PVC windows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, do, would they take? Do the telescopes come apart? Because it's not a great yeah, deal I'm of room to bring it in.
0: Pass. I'm not completely sure. The um, one of the telescopes is on display on the top floor of the World Museum, and they've got. It's quite weird, actually. They got, they got like a mock-up of a corner of, of one of the domes and a mannequin in there, kind of sitting. And the telescope in that is tiny, actually. And the other one, the one we we're talking about in the large storage, um, um, that was massive, I think. Um, just sort of sitting there, not, not really doing anything. Yeah. So that's another, you might have noticed there's quite a long list of things to get through.
1: This episode of Liminal was presented, produced and edited by me, Laura Davis. You can find the series wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. Liminal is a Laudable production for the Liverpool Echo. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media, on Twitter, where we are, at Laudable Pods, and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Liminal and help other listeners discover us too. We'll be taking a break for a little while as the country is in lockdown, making recording any more episodes impossible at this time. But don't forget that you can listen back to all eight episodes of Liminal so far and appreciate our fascinating coastline from the safety of your home. Stay safe.